0: Take a Bible, find Mark chapter 7. Mark 7 has almost been like home base for us in this study. That's the first scripture we're going to look at this morning. So if you want to get a head start, you can find Mark 7. There are notes in the bulletin. Hopefully you picked one of those up on the way in. Next Sunday will be our last Sunday talking about the seven deadly sins Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the big one, which is pride. We've saved that one for last. This morning, we're going to talk about envy. And envy is actually a latecomer to the list of the seven deadly sins. And I've alluded to this. Some of you have asked me about this, and so I thought I would mention it this morning. If you dial it all the way back to the fourth century to a monk named Evagrius, Evagrius began talking about eight. He called them evil Thoughts, eight evil thoughts. And here were his eight gluttony, lust, greed, wrath, sadness, sloth, vainglory, and pride. If you fast forward a couple of hundred years to the sixth century, Pope Gregory took that list and he tweaked it a little bit. He has gluttony, lust, greed, and wrath the same. He combined sadness and sloth into just sloth. He combined vainglory and pride into just pride. And then he added envy. So the list changed a little bit as it was being developed. And Gregory talked about these seven capital sins. These are conditions of the heart. And out of our heart flows all sorts of sinfulness, sinful behavior, sinful words, sinful actions. But these are conditions of our heart that are sort of the root of what Gregory was talking about in the deadly sins. Envy stuck going forward after Gregory, And so we've talked about Dante. He wrote a book that talked about purgatory, and it's based largely on the seven deadly sins. Up on the top right, Hieronymus Bosch has this famous painting. It's called The Seven Deadly Sins and the Last Four Things. Envy is part of his list. And then last week we mentioned the movie from 1995-7. Envy is one of the seven deadly sins in the movie with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Envy also shows up in a classic work of literature. You may have read it. The Berenstain Bears and the Green-Eyed Monster. So, about 15 years ago, somebody gave my family a stack, and I mean a stack, of Berenstain Bear books. And we've hung on to them. We've worn this one out. Uh, We've not learned all of the lessons yet, but we've been working on this one. And my kids... Love to pick Bernstein Bear books at bedtime because it takes like three hours to read a Bernstein Bear book. I don't think they like the Bernstein Bears, but they're milking the clock. So we do we do Bernstein Bears. So this is a riveting tale from Bear Country. And in this story, Brother Bear gets a brand new bike. Brand new. It's really nice. Sister Bear is not happy. Sister Bear is not happy that she got the hand-me-down from Brother. Sister doesn't just want her own new bike. She actually wants Brother's new bike. We're going to talk about how that's important as you think about envy. That's when the green-eyed monster shows up. Jan uh, and Stan Bernstein did not invent the term green-eyed monster. They actually stole it from Shakespeare. Shakespeare in Othello talks about envy as a green-eyed monster monster, something that we've got to reckon with. Green is a good color to think about envy. When we think about green, sometimes we say I'm green with envy. But when we think about green, sometimes we also think about sickness. Green is a color we associate with sickness. And all of those things are connected, envy and the color green and illness. William Willimon explains it like this. Most of the other seven can be fun, let's admit it. Lust is at least momentarily pleasurable, so is gluttony. But who enjoys envy, even for a minute? And the answer is no one enjoys this sin. All of the other seven have some sort of satisfaction, some sort of kick that we get out of them. This one just makes you miserable, it just makes you sick. The great philosopher Socrates talked about envy, and he said it's an ulcer. On your soul. You're just sick in the core of who you are. So, I'm going to talk about envy this morning. We'll start with the definition, and I'm going to give you half of it now and half of it in just a minute. Envy is the sorrowful and resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another person, there's sorrow or sadness involved. When you see that you don't have an advantage that someone else has, there's also resentment, anger, wrath, bitterness towards the fact that someone else has the advantage that you wish that you had. The question is what are these advantages? What are these advantages that we're sorrowful or resentful about when we see them in the lives of other people? I'll give you a list and you can just sort of get the feel for what we're talking about here. Could be a physical characteristic. You look at someone else and you wish that you had their physical characteristics. Could be achievements, recognition, an experience that someone else has that you wish you had and you wish they hadn't had. Could be possessions, money, stuff, cars, houses, jobs. Could be titles, jobs, salaries. Could be a vacation that someone else gets to experience and you don't get to experience and you wish that you could experience it. Could be age in the sense of you envy someone's youth or you envy their maturity. It's an advantage that someone else has And when you become aware of that advantage in their life, you find yourself sorrowful that you don't have it and resentful that they have it. It's a little bit different than greed. Greed can exist in isolation. You can just want more stuff. You can just want more money all by yourself. Envy is kind of like the tango. Takes two. There's you with your advantages, and there's someone else with their advantages. And rather than being grateful and thankful for your advantages, all you can think about are their quote-unquote advantages. The way that we talk about greed and envy sort of make this clear. We are typically greedy for things, for stuff. We are envious of people. Greedy for things envious of people. If you want to see it on display with no filter, take a trip with me next week to the nursery down at the other end of the building. We'll get a bunch of 18-month-olds, and we'll put them in a room, and we'll put a bunch of toys on the floor, and we'll just turn them loose and watch and see what happens. Odds are it'll go something like this. One child will go and pick up a toy and begin to play with the toy and enjoy the toy and have so much fun with the toy... There will be other children who could go pick up other toys. There will be other children who have toys in their hands. They're not interested in the toy on the floor. They're not interested in the toy in their hands. All they want is the toy he has or the toy she has. Envy is directed towards other people and the advantages that we see in their lives. It's something you see in the nursery. As adults, it's not something that we grow out of. It's really something that we grow into. You can find a number of biblical examples. You can think about Joseph and his brothers who saw his coat of many colors. They were envious of Joseph. We can think about Saul and David. And Saul hears these reports of all the women of Israel singing these songs about David's heroics, and Saul is envious of David. We can think about the parable of the prodigal son and the older brother who comes in for the field, and his younger brother is back, and they're having a party, and they're celebrating, and he got a robe, and he got a ring, and he got a dinner, and he's envious that he never got any of those things. We can talk about the Pharisees who see the crowds flocking To Jesus, and all they want is for the crowds to flock to them instead of Jesus. They're envious. We could even talk about the disciples arguing about who's going to have the best seat in the kingdom, envious of each other and the advantages that they saw in their lives. You know, as I thought about envy this week and I read about envy and I listened to different people give their two cents on it, I almost think that envy is a composite sin. I don't know if you like math, but I'll give you a little mathematical formula. If you take pride and add it to greed and add wrath, I think the end result is envy. There's a little bit of pride in the sense of, I am entitled to those advantages that God has not given to me. We're prideful enough to think we're entitled to those things. There's greed in that we want more than what we have, and there's wrath. There's a smoldering anger and bitterness that God has not given us what we want and that instead he's given it towards other people. Pride, greed, and wrath. If that's the makeup of envy, here's the antidote, and this is the rest of your definition. Humility, contentment, and love are the virtues that correspond with this vice. It was interesting. As I read about envy, all these people saying here's the virtue that is the opposite of envy, no one agreed on what that virtue is. They all had a different virtue. And I think it's because this is a composite sin. It's a complex sin. There's a lot going on with envy, and so there are multiple virtues that would stand opposite. Humility to combat our pride, contentment to combat our greed, and love to combat our anger. One of the questions we've asked every week in this series is, why are these sins so problematic? Why are they so common amongst us? And I want to give you a few reasons, the first of which should be familiar to you at this point. Number one, our hearts are sinful. We're going to point out there in just a minute and talk about some of the things in the air, some of the things in our society, some of the things in our culture that exacerbate envy, but most basically, we are the problem. Our hearts are the problem. We can't just pass the buck and blame our envy on someone or something else. Jesus himself says this, Mark 7. This should be familiar to you after several weeks of reading it. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. You've got to make a decision when it comes to sin. Do you agree with what Jesus says about it, or do you agree with what the world says about it? Jesus says most basically the problem with these seven sins and envy in particular, as we think about it this morning, the problem is us. It's our hearts. It begins with us. Secondly, why is this such a common problem? We fool ourselves into thinking this is not a problem in our lives. And it's really easy with envy to fool ourselves as much as any of the other seven deadly sins. It is so easy to talk yourself into thinking, you know, that one about anger, he kind of landed a punch there. The one on lust or gluttony or sloth, yes. But envy doesn't really seem like it's a problem. It is so easy to fool ourselves into thinking that this isn't a problem in our lives. Let me explain what I mean. Look at these two men. On the left, Patrick Mahomes. You know how much I wish that I had hair like Patrick Mahomes? That is an advantage I have not been given. Head and shoulders has never called me to say, would you be our spokesman for a new campaign ad? I'm not expecting them to call me. You know how much money he gets paid to play football? Hundreds of millions of dollars. Do you know how much I would like to have 100 hundreds of millions of dollars, it'd be fantastic. Do you know how far he can throw a football? If you gave me a football, I'd probably be lucky to throw it to the back of the sanctuary. And Pat Mahomes just stands on his back foot and he just flings it and it just goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. Can I tell you something? I am really not envious of Patrick Mahomes. Really, I'm not. I joke about the hair and the money and the the big arm, but I don't spend a lot of time day-to-day really being envious of Patrick Mahomes. He's too far distanced from me in life. The same would be true of The Rock, who has a much nicer haircut than Patrick Mahomes, right? Dwayne Johnson. This guy was ripped when he was a wrestler, and then he quit wrestling, and he got more ripped. He's got muscles on his muscles, unlike me, who has no muscles, And he stars in these blockbuster movies, and they pay him all this money to be in these action movies. I'll just be honest with you. I really am not green with envy toward Dwayne Johnson. It's really not a problem in my life. I give you these examples. I could give you other examples. And I can honestly say I'm not super envious of those guys. It's not eating me up. It's not an ulcer on my soul. Here's the thing. That's not how envy usually works. It's usually not directed to somebody who's far removed from you in life. It's usually directed to someone close to you in life. Look at this quote from Rebecca DeYoung. She says, enviers don't usually envy those who are far removed from their lives and lifestyles or who are vastly more talented or successful than they are. They tend to envy people to whom they might Actually, be compared unfavorably. That is, those who are just like them, only better. When it comes to envy, the temptation really is not for me to envy Pat Mahomes or The Rock. The temptation for me really isn't even to envy the celebrity mega church pastor with a million-dollar book deal and speaking at all the conferences and the biggest church in the United States. That's not really even something that I would struggle with when it comes to envy. The question with envy for someone like me is, what about the pastor right down the street whose church is a little bit bigger or who's baptizing a few more people? Or his budget is not millions of dollars bigger, but it's just a little bit bigger. Somebody who gets a little bit more recognition or credit for things. That's the person that I'm going to struggle with envy towards. And the same is true for you. It's not going to be some celebrity. right? We can watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous and dream about these massive homes. And we can sort of laugh and joke about envy. But it's really directed towards your neighbor. Are you envious? of the person who is like you, who just has a few more advantages. So we fool ourselves into thinking this isn't a problem when really it is. Thirdly, why is this such a common problem? Our lives are largely lived on social media. Social media is not the cause of envy. Our hearts are the cause of envy. Social media is like gasoline on the fire. It takes what's already there and makes it worse. One of the authors I read this week was describing symptoms of envy. How could you diagnose it? How could you see if it was maybe an issue in your life? And he said, look for these things, comparison, complaining, and criticism. If you're a person who's constantly comparing, you're a person who's constantly complaining, a person who's constantly criticizing others, envy is probably taking control of your heart. I don't know if you've been on social media lately or not. Comparison, complaining, criticism. There's plenty to go around, which makes me think that there's plenty of envy going on in our hearts. One last thought is this. I think this is important. Why is this such a common problem? It's common because our perspective is limited. Here's the reality You and I just don't know very much. We're not as smart as we'd like to think we are. We don't have a grasp of the big picture of what God is doing in our lives or what God is doing in our world nearly as much as we think that we might. And I'll tell you an old story, an old Chinese parable about two neighbors. I think it makes my point. Two neighbors lived right across the street, they were both farmers, they both had a ranch. The man on this side of the street was constantly envious of his neighbor across the street because the neighbor across the street, the farmer across the street, had a beautiful horse. It was a -a one-of-a-kind horse. No one else had a horse just like this. And he loved this horse, and he bragged about this horse, and he took joy in this horse. And this neighbor over here constantly looked across the street, saw his neighbor's horse, and thought, you know, I'm a little bit sad that I don't have that horse. Quite frankly, I'm a little bit angry that he has it. I think I'm entitled to a horse like that, and I'm just green with envy towards my neighbor and his horse. One day, the horse jumped the fence and ran away. And the man who owned the horse was devastated. I mean, he was heartbroken. He couldn't even get out of bed. He moped around. He cried. He whined. I mean, he was just crushed. And this man, who had been so envious of his neighbor and his horse, looked at the sorrow in his life and thought, well, I don't envy that. I was envious when he had the horse, but I'm not envious of how miserable he is now. How foolish of me to be envious of my neighbor. I need to not be envious. Next day, the horse came back, not alone, but with a herd of 50 horses just like it. It's like a horse whisperer whisperer or something. It went out, got this herd of wild horses, wrangled them up, brought them back to the man. And the man who had one beautiful horse and then lost it now had like 51 beautiful horses. Just amazing. And here's this old neighbor over here looking across the street thinking, I'm envious. Why couldn't those horses have come to my house? Why couldn't I have half of them? Why does he have to get all of them and I get none of them? It's not fair. I'm entitled to a beautiful horse. What does he need with 51? He's envy. This ulcer on his soul begins to agitate him. The man who had 51 horses had one tame horse and 50 wild horses, so he sent his son out to tame some of the horses, to break some of the horses. He got on the first wild horse. It threw him. He fell on the ground. He broke both of his legs. This neighbor over here had a son who was healthy, two good legs. And he looked across the street and said, well, maybe I don't need those horses after all. I mean, my son is healthy. I should be thankful for that. I shouldn't shouldn't be envious I, I didn't know that was going to happen and i'd like to have the horses but i don't want to have a crippled son so a little bit silly for me to be so envious next day general the military came by and he was recruiting soldiers for a war and he came to the man with an injured son and 51 horses and he looked at his son and he said yeah you're you're crippled you can't fight We went across the street to the man who had no horses and a healthy son and said, your son will do just fine. He's coming with us. Then the envy got worse because he said, well, I don't want a crippled son, but he gets to stay home and he's not in danger and my son's going to have to go fight and he could lose his life and it could be devastating for our family. I just wish I had 51 horses and a crippled son. I'm envious of that and now my son's being conscripted into military service. He went off to fight. He fought bravely. In fact, it was his heroism that turned the tide in a battle, that turned the tide in the war. And the son from the envious farmer became a national hero while the other man's son remained anonymous and at home and crippled. The man looked at his lot and he said, what great fortune has come to my family. That I didn't have a horse, and that they didn't come back to my house, and that my son didn't break his legs, and that he did have to go fight, and that he was able to earn a great reputation for our family. And in the parable, it goes on and on and on. There's about 20 or 30 iterations of this same theme. And the point is really obvious. We don't know anything about today, much less tomorrow. We look across the street, we look across the row, we look across the aisle at school or work, and we're so envious of other people. We don't even know what we're asking for when we're so envious of the things that other people have and their advantages in life. Our perspective is limited. And because it's limited, we end up being envious about the silliest of things. Here's something that's not silly. It's the consequences of envy. This is a deadly deadly sin. And I want to give you a, a few thoughts about why this sin is so deadly. Number 1, envy is like a cancer of the soul. That's not just what Socrates said. That's not just what I say. That's what the Bible says. Envy is like cancer of the soul. Look at Proverbs 14:30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. You understand, the author of Proverbs is not telling you envy will give you bone cancer. The author of Proverbs is telling you, in poetic form, that envy feels miserable. It will make you physically feel and mentally feel and emotionally feel like you are rotting away from the inside out is a nasty soul rotting sin it mostly affects you but it doesn't only affect you what are the consequences of sin why is it so deadly number two it destroys our ability to experience joy the person who is consumed with envy cannot cannot experience joy They are completely oblivious to all of the blessings and all of the advantages in their life. And all they can think about is they're consumed with the advantages in somebody else's life. Look at this quote. Dan Boone says, Envy is the ongoing regret of the life we have been given. What a miserable way to live. To constantly look at your life and be mournful and sorrowful and angry and bitter at the life that you've been given. That person will never be able to experience joy for the things that they have been given. It destroys our ability to experience joy, and closely related to it, it destroys our relationships. This is where it begins to move outside of us. Envy will destroy our relationships. I like what Joe Rigney says about envy, he says, envy is a feeling of unhappiness at the blessing and fortune of others. If that's how you feel about others, you're unhappy at their blessings and their good fortunes, you will never be able to have solid, biblical, gospel-centered, loving, Christ-like relationships with other people when you're just constantly unhappy at all the good things that God has poured into their life. I told you an old Chinese story. Let me tell you an old Jewish story. This is not a Bible story. It's just Jewish folk story. There was a town and in the town there were two merchants. One merchant on this side of the street, one merchant on this side of the street. They both had shops. They were both in the same sort of business. This merchant was moderately successful. He wasn't going hungry. His kids weren't without clothing. He was moderately successful. The merchant on the other side of the street was incredibly prosperous. He was incredibly wealthy. He did multiples of the amount of business as his neighbor. And this moderately successful businessman constantly looked across the street, and he was envious, constantly envious. Sad that he didn't do as much business as that guy. Angry that that guy did as much business as he did. And entitled, feeling entitled to all of the advantages that his neighbor had. He was just miserable, eat up with envy. One night, God sent an angel to the moderately successful envious businessman. The angel came in a dream and the angel said to him, I'm going to give you anything you want. I see that you're struggling with envy. I'm going to give you anything you want, a complete blank check. One wish for anything that you want. Here's the catch. Whatever you ask for, I'm going to give to the man across the street double. Moderately successful merchant found himself in a pickle. He thought, well, I could ask for a million dollars, but he's going to get two million Then I'm going to envy his two million bucks. I could wish for health, but he's going to be twice as healthy. He'll look like the rock in a week. I could pray for more business, but he's just going to get double the business. Don't know where it's going to come from, but he's just going to outdo me. And Then he had a thought, and he said, this is what I want. I want you to make me blind in one eye. I want him to be blind in both. How are you going to love somebody when you're completely eat up with envy? When you're constantly angry and sorrowful and resentful at the blessings that God has given to someone else rather than recognizing the blessings that God has given to you. It's impossible. It destroys your relationships. Fourth, why is it deadly? It makes it impossible to be godly. You cannot be a godly person If you're envious, and I've given you verses in Romans, Galatians, Titus, look them up, study them, dig into them. All three of those passages contain nasty, what Bible scholars call, vice lists. Lists of vices, of sin, of wickedness, of depravity. The lists are horrific, and in all of them, you'll find the sin of envy. If you allow this sin to fester in your heart, it is impossible to honor God in your life. It's impossible to be godly. You've got to fight this sin. I've got to fight this sin. The question is, how do we fight it? I want to give you a a few thoughts as we wrap up. How do we fight the sin of envy? Number one, we recognize envy as sin. When we see it in our lives, we just agree with God about it. God, you say this is sin. I see it in my life. I'm guilty of this sin. Look at Exodus 20, commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. There's a prohibition against greed and covetousness here, but there's also a prohibition against envy. Don't look across the street and want all of the advantages that your neighbor has. To live in violation of the 10th commandment is to live in direct rebellion to the God who gave the commandment. It's a sin, and we have to acknowledge that it's sin. Secondly, how do we fight it? We believe the gospel. It's the most important idea we're going to talk about this morning. We believe the gospel. Let me tell you about Psalm 73. You look it up later today. Read it. It's not long. Psalm 73. Written by a man named Asaph. Asaph lived about the time King David did. Asaph launches into Psalm 73 with a confession. His confession is, God, I am envious when I see the prosperity of wicked people. I look at wicked people and I see their prosperity and I am envious of what they have. He just admits it. And he wrestles with that envy in the psalm and at the end of it, he comes to a conclusion that is radically different than where he started. This is Asaph's conclusion, Psalm 73, 25. He says, whom have I in heaven but you and there's nothing on earth I desire beside you. Meaning, there is not a single thing in heaven I want more than I want you. And there's not a single thing on this earth that I want more than I want you. You, God, and you alone are able to make me content and whole and happy. There's not anything else that I'm envious of, any other person that I'm envious of, as long as I know you. The question is, you and I are sinful people. We're envious people. How do we get to that point? The most basic Sunday school answer is the right answer here. We get there because of Jesus. The Bible says that in eternity past, Jesus was king. Jesus was creator. Jesus Sitting on the throne of heaven after creating humanity and seeing humanity rebel and fall into wickedness, Jesus was not envious of our lot in life. You understand that? Jesus did not come to the earth and live on the earth as a human being because he was envious of what we were going through. Yet he came, he humbled himself, he became a servant. As a servant, he humbled himself to the point of death, and that death was death on a cross. And that death on a cross was a substitutionary death where Jesus died for our sin and our wickedness and our greed and our gluttony and our sloth and our lust and our envy. He took the penalty for our sin. Philippians 2 describes it. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? So that in the end, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That every human being who trusts in Jesus would be be able to say with Asaph, Jesus, there's not anything in heaven I want beside you. I'm not going for the mansion. I'm not going for the retirement plan. I'm not going for the cabin in the woods. I'm going for you. There's not anything on this earth that will satisfy me besides you. The answer is Jesus. We sang just a moment ago, When I rise in the morning, give me Jesus. That's a prayer saying, That's what I want. I'm not asking you to give me a great day. I'm not asking you to make everything easy. I'm not asking you to make me healthy, wealthy, happy, all the rest. I just want Jesus. That's the hope of the gospel gospel is not some promise that God will fix all the stuff in your life that you don't like. The hope of the gospel is God will give you himself. He'll give you Jesus. Recognize it as sin. Believe the gospel. Number three, how do we fight this sin? Commit ourselves to worship in the word. That's part of Psalm 73. When you go back and read it, you'll see it. Asaph in the beginning is envious of the wicked. In the end, He's believing the good news of the gospel. He's trusting that God is all that he needs and all that he wants. And in the middle, do you know how he gets there? It says he goes to the sanctuary. He goes to worship. He knows that all the mess around me and all the mess in my heart is going to lead me astray, and I need to come back and center my heart and center my mind on the truth about who God is and what he's done for me. That's why we gather in this room every week. We sing the same old stuff. I tell you the same old stuff over and over and over and over and over again. I have nothing new to say to you. Just the same old stuff over and over and over again. Because all during the week, our hearts lead us astray. The world makes it worse. Social media makes it worse. Everything makes it worse. And we stop once a week and we come back together as the people of God, as a church family, and we say, no, 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 no. This is true. This is right. We don't think envy is okay, and we believe that Jesus is the answer. Worship does that. The Word of God does that. First Peter, put away envy and crave the Word of God. Worship in the Word That's how we fight this sin. One more thought. How do we fight the sin of envy? We practice stewardship. We practice stewardship. Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. The master is leaving. He gives to this servant five talents. He gives to this servant two talents. He gives to this servant one talent. The master does not want the servants to be envious of the talents. Well, you got five. Well, the one you got is better. Will you only have two. Or he doesn't want them to fight about the talents. He just wants them to use the talents. Don't fight over the advantages that have been given to you. Just use the advantages that have been given to you. Be a good steward. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about any of the advantages that you might have in your life, any of the blessings that you might have in your life. Maybe you have five. Be a good steward of five. Maybe you have two. That's okay. Don't worry about the guy with five. Just be a good steward of those two. Maybe you say, I only got one. I got one advantage. Be thankful for it and use it. Be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. It's one of the ways that we fight envy.